you're passionate about transforming retail operations and improving performance, plus you're accountable for key change projects and programs in your company, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Retail Transformation Show with me, Oliver Banks. Hey, 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 it's Oliver Banks and welcome to the Retail Transformation Show. This one is episode 107, number 107. And today we continue our journey through the last 12 months of the podcast. Yes, that's right. Last time in episode 106, we started off looking at some of the best bits from the last year to celebrate the podcast's second birthday. So if you've not checked that one out, then you don't have to listen to it before this one. But I do encourage you to go and check that one out. It's full of golden nuggets and loads of references to a number of different episodes from the past year. Lots of great stuff. And today, as I say, we're continuing that journey through the past 12 months. And we're surfacing up more of those golden nuggets for you to enjoy today. So get comfortable and let's rock and roll. Today, we're starting off with a solo show, episode 81 to be precise. That episode was about becoming customer obsessed. Here's the clip. Customer obsession isn't just one thing. It's many, many changes, and it's all over the organization. You can't be truly customer obsessed in just one team, in just one department, or as just one individual who is there championing the customer across the whole organization. If that's the case, there's going to be lots of infighting and that certainly isn't customer focused or customer obsessed. And the temptation at present in the coronavirus pandemic in this COVID-19 challenge is very much going to be to revert to becoming less customer centric, less obsessed with customers and instead focusing on the financials, striving for results and performance as you look to recover. But what I would urge you to do is to challenge yourself and think about if that is a classic mindset or if that is a truly customer obsessed mindset, because I think you know the answer from today's discussion, right? And what would a truly customer obsessed company be doing right now as they look to recover from coronavirus? And what would that look like for your company? And I urge you, like I say, to start thinking in that way, because As we do come out of this pandemic, as we do come out of this crisis and whatever financial crisis follows as well, by the way, customers will absolutely recognize those companies, those brands that are obsessing over them and are obsessing over helping them. So I promise you that investment into becoming customer obsession, you've seen all the stats. I'm not going to quote them here, but it pays off, right? You know, it pays off. So that was from episode 81. Do go and check that one out if you are interested in finding out more about my views on becoming customer obsessed. On a very similar subject, you might also enjoy episode 97, where Martin Newman, the consumer champion, joined me to dive into customer centricity and what that really means and how to go about becoming customer centric. We certainly know It's a term that many retailers use, but sometimes those words can get a little hollow. So this is from my conversation with Martin Newman, episode 97. 
We invariably focus too much, I think, on the top of the funnel. We all tend to think of acquisition, mm. customer acquisition, how much they cost us to acquire a customer return on advertising spend. Very few focus on customer lifetime value. Mm. I talk to businesses day in, day out, and when I ask them about the contact center and the customer service side of their business, almost always viewed as a cost center and not a profit center. So retailers are looking at the cost to serve rather than the benefit to serve. Mm. And and I think that's where it all falls down. And I think that going back to what I was saying a minute ago about 1994 and that sort of transfer of power from the retailer to the consumer, I think that's the fundamental lack of understanding that some businesses still have, arguably at board level. It's a whole kind of change in mindset in terms of, you know, how you structure your business to the key performance indicators and the targets that you give to different business units. Because to get people to deliver this, you need the whole business sort of pointing in the same direction. Mm. And um, the problem is at the moment that, you know, even if you go back to what I was saying about the contact center, you know, most contact centers and customer service teams are being measured, for example, by how many calls were answered within two minutes or how many people mm. had to hold more than two minutes. I mean, that sounds like a sensible KPI because you don't want to leave customers holding on the line. The problem is, I think what it leads to is it leads to other operators getting rid of calls quicker than they need to uh, in order to meet that KPI. Mm. And so you end up with customers actually, you might meet your KPI of answering all your calls in two minutes, but ultimately, if all the customers that get through to you leave dissatisfied and haven't had a resolution to the issue, then clearly it's not worked. Now, if you did attend Retail Transformation Live 2 back in July, then you will remember Martin Newman was our opening keynote speaker and he did an awesome job. And what I'm actually going to do today is I'm going to put the opening of Retail Transformation Live 2 including Martin's keynote, on the show notes page today, which you can find at obandco.uk slash 107. And there you'll find all the references to all of the episodes that we talk about today. So if you can't remember, then that is where you need to head over to obandco.uk slash 107. So sticking with the focus on customers, the next Snippet is from another solo show that I did, episode 94, which was all about customer frustrations. And just before this clip, I just shared a story, a real life story, around how simple mistakes can actually lead to a really frustrating experience. If you'd like to hear the full story, you will need to, of course, go and listen to that episode, episode 94. But for now, this is the snippet I've chosen to share with you today. So I'm sure you are with me. Frustrations are a bad thing, but they get missed all of the time. None of these problems are difficult problems to fix. I'm sure you'll agree with me. None of them are superiorly difficult technical challenges to overcome. They're all very, very basic needs. And you could have the wizziest website in the world and the slickest automation and all the AI in the world. But if you are falling down on all of these, like I say, very basic elements, then that is a recipe for disaster. In these situations, the retailer has set and then broken the expectation of the customer. 
In the story, they set the expectation of price. They broke it. They set the expectation of timelines. They broke it. And the quality was an expectation that I set myself as almost a going in position. I assumed it would be of an acceptable quality. And I'm sure you can think of plenty of other examples where expectations are made or assumed and then broken. Maybe it's having to spend excessive amounts of time on hold to a customer service agent. Maybe it's about asking a question of a staff member and they just don't have the information to hand when you feel like you're wasting time. Maybe it's about actually being charged more than you should be for a purchase. You know, you buy something for 10 bucks, 10 pounds, whatever. You know, maybe a promotion hasn't been applied or whatever that is, and you end up getting charged 12. That's a frustration, right? So at the back end of last year, Accenture found that in a worldwide survey of 20,000 consumers, that 47% of frustrated customers said that they would avoid doing business with the retailer again in the future. And I'm sure that will not surprise you, but it does absolutely paint the picture that a frustrating experience significantly damages brand loyalty as well as reputation. And I'm sure you know this as well, but that Salesforce research study earlier said that 62% of customers say that they share a bad experience with other people. And obviously with social media and everything in this current day world, that can cause some big reputational damage to your brand too. So frustrations hurt. It's not just about confusion or the lack of something, as I mentioned earlier on. Those are more frictions or missed opportunities. A frustration is much more basic in my viewpoint. It's a failure of the operation. It's a failure of the operating model as well, by the way. There has been an expected level and it's just not been fulfilled. So that one was from episode 94. We're going to shift things up a little and rewind back to episode 77, where I invited Steve Collinge onto the show. Now, if you don't know Steve... He is an expert, a real expert in the home improvement and garden sector. And that's what we were diving into in that episode, episode 77, like I say. But this little snippet was a really great takeaway. Thinking about your customers' projects and how they are viewing the shopping trip in the entirety of their lives. Here's Steve. Thinking of the consumer shopping process in its broader project. That's the key to this. So there were some great examples and continue to be really good examples from Tesco where they were taking part of their space in fridges to do the whole meal solution. So rather than sell a particular type of recipe with 17 different ingredients and then you have to go off on store in, around store to find everything, they put it in one place and there's the recipe card as well. So for me, that is a very, very good example of where you've delivered the entire solution as simply and easy as possible. But there are challenges. And this goes back to the challenge within home improvement retailers as everywhere else. So within home improvement, you've got, let's take a decking project. You've got decking in one part of the store bought by one buyer. You've got decking stain in a different part of the store bought by a different buyer. You've got weed control products, again, different part of the store, different buyer. Yep. We are structured and we target our buying teams as retailers functionally by category and therefore when we need to share space to actually deliver this project solution it becomes a huge category problem because 
the decking buyer doesn't want to use up any of his space for the decking stain because, quite frankly, that decking stain buyer is going to take some of the benefit from that. So it's exactly the same within within grocery. And unless you've got an area where you mm. can seasonally or flexibly adopt this project thinking, then I think there's it becomes a challenge. But that is what they have to do. And on clothing, again, it's the same. Are you going to a wedding? This is a range of looks for you. The entire look, everything. The dress, the jewellery, the hat, mm. shoes, everything to go with that. The hair, the hair you know, all, all that sort of additional services as well. It's the solution. Now, if you want to get all that done yourself, that's fine. But if you want part of that done for you, then here is the company that does it. So almost every retail category has some element of project that can be adopted. It just happens that Home Improvement probably has the majority of its purchases project-driven because it's more complicated. Mm. But as with, through each sector, it doesn't matter how and what that retail sector is, there is a level of thinking that could be answered through that project transformation service do-it-for-you solution. I did really enjoy that conversation, particularly as I am a little fond of the old home improvement sector myself as a as a customer. Now, what I really did like about that conversation with Steve was this whole idea of a project and serving your customers, not just through a single product, but through a range of different products and services as well, actually, that help them to achieve something, that help them to really get over the particular challenge that they are facing or the query or the opportunity that they are facing. And actually, you become much more than a retailer at that stage. You become a partner in them achieving what they want to achieve in their life. And that is a huge opportunity as we are starting to think about becoming bigger retailers after the COVID era, I suppose. (laughs) And it's absolutely worthwhile thinking about right now, before we do get out of that era, how could you serve your customers through a project type mindset? thinking bigger than just the products. Shifting through the gears and thinking about some of the other great episodes, I really enjoyed episode 99 with Michael Grange, where we were looking at retail technology. And here we're talking about what a retailer is trying to achieve. Here is Michael Grange from episode 99. You've got to work out as a a retailer what you're looking to achieve. Are you looking to be a retailer or are you looking to be a retailer plus something else? Mm. If you look at Amazon, actually, they, they're providing lots of different types of services to different sectors. Mm. And depending on which lens you look through, you see something different. In some cases, you could argue that they are a bit of a monopoly in terms of online marketplaces, although obviously there's lots of competition with eBay. But on the other side, there are also other services that Amazon provides in their, um, so for example, their Amazon Web Services are providing a platform on which retailers and lots of other businesses too can commission their technology in the cloud in a very scalable and, and cost-effective way. But of course, they're by no means a monopoly in that area, although they are gaining great ground. Um, they're not a monopoly. So when you look at retailers and when retailers look at themselves, they do have to think about what lens they're looking at themselves through. Are they looking to just be a pure play retailer? And is that just in bricks and mortar? Are they going to have an online presence? Or are they going to offer something else too to the wider sector? So that was Michael Grange in episode 99. And if you do remember correctly, 
Michael joined us again on the next episode, episode 100, the centenary episode, where we did something a little bit different. We turned the tables and I was the guest on this podcast. So Michael took over my role and interviewed me. Here is the clip from episode 100. It's a really massive thing and it touches so many different people and it's such an important part of people's lives. Yes. That it, it fills me with real excitement. I can see that it's a very everyday thing, isn't it, retail, in terms of a, a sector mm. and everyone can relate to it. And and I think, yes, lots of what you're describing there will resonate with lots of the listeners. They'll get that about retail mm. because it is one of those things that once you're in, you get drawn deeper and deeper into wanting to make a difference yeah. for all those people that you mentioned. It's interesting. So it is, everyone has an opinion, mm -hmm. but at the same time, it's complicated and simple to do retail. On the face of it, it's very, very simple. But when you get into the nitty gritty, it's insanely complicated. It is. And I guess that's where your engineering background helps you to sort of almost dissect that complexity, right? I mean, there's, mm. I, I know you're a, you're a Lean Six Sigma black belt, but there's more than that, you know, just this ability to understand the more abstract concepts of, of the, the complex situations you might find yourself in, in, in uh, looking at retail transformation, for example. Exactly. And operating models form a, a large part of my focus. And Yes, I very much put that back down to my sort of systems engineering background, looking at actually different functional elements of a mechanical system. And actually, how does that relate to the very much more flexible and agile elements in a, a retail system, should we say? So that was me on my own podcast, episode 100. I do hope you enjoy listening to this one. Now, if you are struggling to remember all of these numbers, then do remember, head over to today's show notes page, obandco.uk slash 107, and you will find references to every single episode that we list out. And of course, do go and check out the last episode as well. If you didn't already listen to that bit, which was part one of this best bits tour de force from the last 12 months. Next up, we're going to episode 85 and Jana Busby, a consumer psychologist, joined me to talk about the psychology of change. Now, I really enjoyed this conversation. I do enjoy getting into mindset and psychology and so on. So here's a little snippet from this conversation with Jana Busby. Change can be very hard for people, for some more, for some less, but that doesn't mean that when people go through change, some go uh, through that, um, you know, um, plain sailing. We do have emotional reactions to change and these are normal reactions to the real and perceived disruption that accompanies any change. So change inevitably causes pain. Um, we uh, may have fear of failure fear of facing the unknown and feeling incompetent, then the feelings of anxiety because change brings uncertainty. And people want to avoid these feelings. We are hardwired to maintain the status quo. We want to protect ourselves by staying in our comfort zones. So we are programmed to move away from pain because it doesn't feel good. It's true that change is critical for success, and yet sometimes it's difficult to implement, mm. especially if it's um, a big organizational change. And we know that right now, at the moment, retail is going to some big changes. 
changes that have started some time ago, but especially now, where many processes have to be aligned in order for the change to be initiated and then implemented. And we are seeing many new initiatives. So uh, as this applies um, in general to the uh, retail business, for example, store operations don't like change because they fear it will upset the equilibrium of the budget for their stores and so on and so forth. So depending on the type of change, it's also true that the risks involved with the change and we are not always ready to accept those risks, even though they may never materialize. Our mind imagines, our mind wants to forecast the future, but that's not always reliable. So the more averse we are to taking the risks, the more cautious we are and more resistant than uh, we become to change. Because we humans are not good, as I said, at predicting outcomes with certainty, although we want to imagine that we are good at it. <laughs> yeah. Some are better than others, of course. I totally agree with that. But still, you know, what makes us less reliable at predictions is the fact that we all have cognitive biases. We are emotional beings. And because of our human nature, we are prone to making mistakes. There were so many different ways we could have taken that conversation. I do hope you enjoyed the episode with Jana Busby. That was episode 85. Next up, sticking with the theme around behaviours, and this is a snippet from my conversation with Simon Hedo from Rethink Productivity. Now, in episode 79, we were talking about store management structures, but this particular clip is all about behaviours. Check it out. The behaviours are the bit that people are now honing in on which comes back to the wider bit of what are your leaderships to, doing by setting the tone and driving those behaviours because that, that's the bit that drives the experience. My lasting impression of anywhere will be the last probably conversation I had unless something horrific's happened in the middle. Mm. So if I've gone in and asked somewhere where something is and they've said, I've said, don't take me there, tell me what aisle it is. And they've said, aisle five, I've gone, it's there, brilliant. If the cashier is then polite, courteous, and we have a, a bit of a, you know, how's the weather, how are you doing, you've been busy today, chat. Actually, I'll be quite satisfied with that. If she's brilliant, I'll come out feeling great. If she, if he or she's not been so brilliant, then actually that's my lasting impression of actually they were having a bad day and I could tell. So the brand promise stuff linked back to the behaviours is where people have taken the job description and then what you're doing or supposed to do in the week or a normal week to the next level of, and this is how we expect you to do it or behave within that. So that was Simon Hedo from Rethink Productivity. And actually, Simon is also a podcast host. I'm not sure if you've heard his podcast, the Rethink Productivity podcast. Do go and check that out if you enjoyed episode 79. Now, sticking with a the theme of productivity, and one of the huge trends right now is that of automation. And in particular, supply chain automation in warehouses. Robotics can unlock some huge opportunities and benefits. And to explore those in a little bit more detail, I caught up with Mark Messina and Simon Houghton from Geek Plus. And this next clip is from episode 92, where we were talking about automating your warehouses. Take a listen. So enabling, you know, same day delivery, half hour delivery, these sorts of things is very difficult to do with these other systems. And robotics are certainly a key piece of that. There are, there are other components where 
you know, intimate knowledge of your customers required because if you have a small DC that's in the middle of an urban center as opposed to 20 miles away, mm. it's very important that you have the right inventory in stock. So knowing the customer, essentially knowing what they're going to order before they do so you can have it there uh, means that you can make that same day delivery. So there's there's a lot of change happening in terms of AI with customer knowledge and also robotics uh, that maximize labor and real estate and push us ever closer to the customer. So that was episode 92, all about automating your warehouses. And you might also enjoy a white paper that I wrote with Geek Plus, looking at the bottlenecks that exist within your warehouse and how you can overcome them. I'll put the link for that on the show notes page, obandco.uk slash 107. Next up is episode 86, and a really interesting conversation with Claire Bailey, the retail champion, and Roger Smith, the founders of Grounded Places. And we were talking about the future of the high street. Now, 2020 has provided more challenges than I think we'd all care to look at for physical retail. And in this episode, Claire and Roger were looking at actually what is the future of physical place? What part does it play in the increasingly e-commerce world that we live in? So I've got a couple of clips from this episode. First up is Claire Bailey. That's a really interesting question. And I think that the difficulty is that nobody can really answer it without a crystal ball. Obviously, though, if you look at the history of our high streets going back over even 300 years, they have always been the social hub of a place, whether they have been supplying retail in terms of food products and so on and so forth, or whether they're providing social in terms of the the more modern experience of coffee shops and so on. They have always been part of a community, and I think they always will be. The difficulty is actually trying to predict what the place will actually do. And there's far too many commentators suggesting that there's a one-size-fits-all approach, because in reality, (laughs) and I'm I'm sure Roger will add some colour to this, that places support the needs and wants of the community that they serve. So it might be that it's a dormitory town where people just commute, and therefore what those places provide to the consumer is very different to what a place provides where people live, work and play within that environment. And that's where I think that people have perhaps got it wrong in the past, trying to homogenize place and create a a template as such, where in reality, differentiation is what matters. So that was Claire in episode 86. And from that very same episode, here is Roger Smith. It's really just about shopping, is it? I mean, sometimes, you know, we're talking about the grocery shopping. It can be just in and out. And um, thank you very much. We've got everything that we need and get back on with our lives. But quite often, shopping is surrounded with uh, elements. Perhaps it's an element of uh, socialising or uh, relaxing or even a family event. So it might be a bit of shopping followed by a meal in cinema. Or, you know, there's the whole mix of things. So, you know, I think that high street will struggle to a certain degree we're going to see some further losses but will i think will always be there for us so long as people are really concentrating on the element of community and also from a a a place of managing an array of different outlets we're providing choice within a decent accessible area for people so 
Claire and I have been doing some work with uh, Lincoln just recently, mm. and it's almost split into three parts as you go from down the hill all the way up to the top of the hill. You know, there's a, a different value proposition from one part to another, and there's a different social proposition from one part to another. And it's interesting because Lincoln has, has kind of pretty much got a lot of those things right. But if you, you know, if you only had one coffee shop at the top end of the street, then you've either got the whole market or you might be struggling because you're not providing any choice at all. So it's no good. The choice of one is not really a choice. Mm. Uh, and when there's so many, you end up flooding the market. So there's a balance there between the different outlet types that you have to get right. That was a great episode. I did enjoy catching up with Claire and Roger and understanding more about place and the challenges and the opportunities that exist. It all makes so much sense when you think about it. But unfortunately, so often, a lot of the simple opportunities are missed or overseen. There's a lot that gets in the way. Now, 2020, as I mentioned earlier, has provided lots of challenges. And of course, many retailers are turning their heads towards operational cost savings right now to help them through the tough period, help them to deliver the P&L as best as they can. So cost savings are going to be a really key opportunity to be able to deliver the profit numbers, let's be honest. So in episode 98, I took the mic in another solo show looking at cost savings and how you can approach them and some of the pitfalls as well. Now, this particular clip is towards the end of the episode, actually, where I was sharing eight tips. So here are the first few of the tips to go about delivering a successful operational cost-saving program. Here we go. So the first lesson is look macro and micro. And really, you want to be looking at different levels of the organization. So looking at a big picture and then zooming down into different parts of the organization guided by the data behind the cost base and also your gut instinct as well. Take a bit of a gut feel as to where could the cost saving opportunities exist. The second lesson is that it's extremely unlikely that you will find a single silver bullet, that one unique idea that's going to land massive cost saving. Instead, it's likely that you need to find a collection of different ideas. The third lesson is you need to be looking both within and across the functions of the organization. It's going to be easier to stay within a function or within an operational area to find cost savings, but the bigger savings are likely to exist when you look cross-functionally. So that was episode 98, and we're coming to the end of our Best Bits episodes. There have been so many fantastic episodes to pick from, I have to be honest. And these Best Bits episodes, they're a really fun thing to create, but they're pretty hard as well. There are some tough choices that need to be made. So if I have missed out one of your favorite bits, then let me know. Reach out by email oliver.banks at obandco.uk or find me on LinkedIn. I'm Oliver Banks or on Twitter at Ollie underscore Banks. That's O-L-L-I-E underscore Banks. And do let me know which your favorite bits, your best episodes were from the past 12 months. I really would love to hear from you. And remember, do go and check out the show notes page today, which is obandco.uk slash 107. And that includes all of the episodes referenced today. And of course, there was part one last time around as well. So do go and check that one out as well if you haven't. 
So if you are new to the show, then do remember to subscribe in your favorite podcast player. New episodes are released every single week and together we will dive in and explore the insight, the ideas and the inspiration that you need to successfully deliver your retail transformation initiative. I really appreciate you tuning in every single week. So thank you for doing that. I so appreciate it. And just to round out the episode today, here are some little funny moments from the last 12 months as well. Enjoy, and I'll catch you in the next episode. Bye for now. It's a pleasure finally to be here. I mean, I'm loving London. I mean, the pubs are always fine and full with people. The food is great, and the the Guinness can never be better. You are here in VR London, of course. (laughs) Oh, right. You had to burst my bubble. I was a a big figment of your imagination. I was was actually starting to buy into my own hallucination, and here you come along and already tear it away from me. I mean, in reality, you're, you know, you're the king of transformation, right? So if you want to transform... <laughs> it's my new title, is it? The king of transformation. <laughs> it is your new title. Right? You have been anointed. <laughs> the Grinch. The Grinch who stole Christmas. Mm. Uh, the great the great Dr. Zeus tale. And, you know, he's up on the mountaintop, uh, you know, maybe like some leaders and um, scheming how to stop Christmas from coming. <laughs> well, you know, here's, here's the news. Christmas is coming. So what can you do with it? And a new Christmas is coming around every corner. So it enriches your experience and, and, and who you are. Mm. It gives you lots of different facets and per, not personality, so to speak, but lots of different facets to... Uh... <laughs> I've borrowed a personality from lots of people. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. That's where my rubbish jokes come from. <laughs> You could probably do Amazon Go as a very thoughtful experiment for almost any retailer for probably the cost of three to five executive bonuses. Mm. And when you put it in that frame of mind, that's actually pretty easy to do innovation in that regard. Until you've identified those those executives that are not going to get their bonus. <laughs> right, exactly. You say, sorry, you have to give exactly. it back, I'm afraid. We're going to do an Amazon Go store. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> or you don't find it that way. But but the symbolism is still the same. <laughs> yeah, sure. You know, I don't want to use the word unprecedented. Too many people have used that word. But what are you seeing in the world right now? Oh, it's unprecedented. Well, that was easy. <laughs> <laughs> You've really dropped some big golden nuggets on this huge topic all around purpose. So thank you so much. Oliver, thank you for catching my nuggets. Uh, It was a real pleasure. (laughs) 